Due to the graphic nature of these crimes, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of domestic abuse, sexual assault, suicide, and murder. We advise extreme caution for children under the age of 13. As the silver sedan wound its way through the darkened California countryside, Carolyn Oppie Stahl sat silently in the passenger seat. Her husband, Ken, kept his eyes firmly fixed on the road, saying nothing. Carolyn tried to fight back a sigh. There was no point in trying to talk things through with Ken. Whatever mysterious birthday surprise he had in store, it wouldn't solve anything. Their marriage had been going downhill for a while, and a long, uncomfortable drive wasn't about to change that. Eventually, the couple reached a flat stretch of the Ortega Highway, and Ken pulled the car over. Carolyn looked around in confusion. It was pitch black outside. Why had they stopped? Before she could ask what was going on, another car pulled up behind them. Carolyn's pulse quickened as she heard the door open. Something was wrong, but Ken didn't seem concerned. He rolled down the window as a man in black approached them. The stranger asked if they needed any help, but when Carolyn turned to the driver's side window to respond, all she saw was the silver muzzle of a gun. Hi, I'm Lainey Hobbs, and this is Crimes of Passion, a Spotify original from Parcast. In the legal definition, a crime of passion is a violent crime that occurs in the throes of extreme emotion, leaving no time to reflect on the consequences. But in this show, we explore how passionate relationships sometimes lead us to criminal activity. How does a husband and wife become killer and victim, or killer and co-conspirator? If there's a thin line between love and hate, what manipulates our relationships into deadly results? You can find episodes of Crimes of Passion and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. This week, we'll discuss Adriana Vasco and Dennis Earl Godley, along with Kenneth Stahl and Carolyn Oppie Stahl. Ken was never one for monogamy, but of the many affairs he embarked on, his relationship with Adriana Vasco was the most destructive. In the end, their romance left two people dead and two others as fugitives from the law. Next week, we'll cover the fallout of these crimes and the investigation that tore one woman's life apart at the seams. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. Now on Netflix, inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman, comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. 
Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Welcome back to Collector's Closet, presented by the Ohio Lottery. Let's discuss my newest prize possession, this new $10 scratch-off, the $500,000 Platinum Jackpot. The best method I've found so far to help it hold its value is to vacuum seal it. This thing cannot get scratched. What's that? Sorry, my producer's telling me the only way it could be worth up to 500 grand is if I do scratch it? Okay, well, in that case, definitely don't overprotect your $500,000 Platinum Jackpot scratch-offs. Play them. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. Growing up, Kenneth Stoll was the quintessential California golden boy. Born in 1942 in the city of Pomona, he was given every advantage in his early life. Ken's mother was a nurse and his father was a prominent surgeon who owned a hospital and osteopathic practice. He followed in their footsteps, studying medicine in Kansas City. After graduating, he went on to become an anesthesiologist. With his career dreams now a reality, he turned his attention to his love life. He didn't do anything halfway. Soon enough, he'd started dating someone, and a little while after that, they got married. But before long, Ken's picture-perfect life started to fall apart. As he got older, Ken watched his father struggle with heart disease. He was worried about his dad, but was also terrified of developing the same illness himself. In an attempt to stave off health issues, he exercised constantly. But his body had other plans. For the first time in his life, Ken fell short of his goals. At just 35 years old, he had to undergo heart surgery. Two years later, he had his first heart attack. And as his physical health deteriorated, so did his mental state. It seems that Ken's surgery triggered a series of depressive episodes. During these periods, he spoke often about wanting to die and referred to himself as Dr. No Life. A longtime friend described one episode that lasted a full seven years. Ken was in a dark place. Possibly seeking to distract himself from his health issues, he turned to another woman for comfort. When his wife found out about the affair, the two agreed to divorce. Ken went on to marry the other woman, but as karma would have it, she left him after three months. Their short marriage was annulled and Ken's life was left in shambles. Unfortunately, things only went downhill from there. In 1980, Ken's father passed away. It's unclear if his passing had anything to do with his heart disease, but with his father gone, Ken felt more adrift than ever before. He longed to fill the void left by his father's absence, so he went looking for another relationship. At age 38, Ken met 25-year-old optometrist Carolyn Oppie at his hospital. Carolyn was kind and vivacious, and he'd heard she was a former beauty pageant contestant from Michigan. Although there was probably an initial spark between the two of them, it took a few years for their friendship to turn romantic. Once they got going, though, Carolyn was all in. By 1986, she and Ken had gotten a place together. Before long, she was ready to make things official. But since his last two marriages had ended in disaster, Ken wasn't quite as eager to tie the knot. He did his best to stall for time, but after a year of living together, Carolyn grew tired of waiting. If Ken wasn't prepared to put a ring on her finger, 
then she wasn't going to waste any more time on him. She gave him a choice, get married or break up. He chose the former. It wasn't exactly a fairy tale wedding. The couple opted for a ceremony in Vegas on the early morning of January 1st, 1988. Even with the pared down celebration, Carolyn was delighted. In photos, she beamed, her cheeks flushed and her eyes gleamed with excitement about what was to come. In contrast, Ken appeared defeated. His smile looked forced and the expression on his face was one of empty resignation. And this lackluster attitude carried on as he and Carolyn embarked on their new chapter together. As time went on, his old habit reemerged. Five years into their marriage, Carolyn came home from a trip to find Ken fooling around with another woman. Although he agreed to attend couples counseling, he didn't seem particularly remorseful about his actions. In fact, after this incident, his ambivalence towards Carolyn morphed into outright cruelty. Carolyn had gained some weight over the past few years, and though she was likely already insecure about her appearance, Ken only made her feel worse. He bombarded her with a constant stream of insults, critiquing her body and calling her degrading names. Eventually, the verbal abuse escalated to physical assault. In one instance, Ken caught Carolyn going through his desk and hit her in retaliation. It was a disturbing escalation that may have been linked to his long-standing battle with depression. Before we get into our discussion of Ken's psychology, please note, I am not a licensed psychologist or psychiatrist, but we have done a lot of research for the show. According to anger management specialist, Dr. Bernard Golden, some people use anger to distract themselves from emotional pain. For individuals dealing with depression, channeling their feelings of worthlessness and frustration into rage might provide temporary relief. It was inexcusable for Ken to take out his emotions on Carolyn, and like so many victims of abuse, she couldn't bring herself to leave him. Instead, she dealt with the situation by pretending it simply wasn't happening. Struggling to accept the harsh reality of her marriage, Carolyn became preoccupied with maintaining her outside image. In her eyes, she and Ken could still pretend to be the perfect Orange County couple. During the holidays, she'd buy herself gifts and put them under the tree, pretending they were from her husband. The truth was, he couldn't have cared less about her. And eventually, her coping mechanism spun out of hand. By 1999, she'd accumulated $96,000 in credit card debt. That same year, Ken's health issues came to a head when he had to undergo yet another heart surgery. Ken sank even deeper into his depression, and like he always did, he turned to other women for validation. Soon, rumors started swirling around Ken's office that the anesthesiologist was seeing a pretty young medical receptionist named Adriana Vasco. Born in Mexico in 1967, Adriana's life was marked by violence from the very beginning. She was conceived through rape, and although her mother never told Adriana directly, it seemed that she resented Adriana's very existence because of it. According to Adriana, 
Her mom was never very affectionate towards her, though she was warm and loving to Adriana's younger half-siblings. The pain this must have caused was compounded by the fact that she was sexually abused at an early age. Her mother knew about it, but did nothing to stop it, possibly because she was a victim of abuse too. In a particularly heart-wrenching account, Adriana recalled a time when she got angry with her abuser for touching her inappropriately. Her mother heard them arguing and asked Adriana why she was so upset. Didn't she understand that he was just being affectionate? This disturbing reaction and countless others seems to have taught Adriana that men show their love through abuse. Dr. Nancy Kayser Boyd, a psychologist who later interviewed Adriana, noted that growing up in a household where sexual abuse was normalized had a significant impact. Not only did Adriana learn that violent relationships were okay, but she came to expect them. She did have a limit though, at least when it came to her stepfather. When she was 13, Adriana's family immigrated to California. Three years later, she confided in one of her teachers about the abuse she endured. The instructor offered to help get her out of her house and into a shelter. Desperate to escape her abuser by any means, Adriana agreed. With her teacher's assistance, she moved into the shelter and embarked on the next phase of her life, one she hoped would be much happier than the last. And at first, it seemed like things were headed in that direction. She was almost done with high school and she even got a boyfriend, a man we'll call Hugo. Adriana was smitten. Hugo seemed like the perfect guy. He was kind and affectionate, and most importantly, made her feel safe. He was the exact opposite of her abuser. In 1986, just after Adriana's graduation, the two got married and moved in together. The relationship seemed like the answer to Adriana's prayers, but when she got pregnant almost two years later, Hugo's true colors started to show, and they weren't pretty. Coming up, Adriana looks for help in all the wrong places. Hi, I'm Christine Schiefer. And I'm M. Schultz. We're the hosts of Rituals, the new Spotify original from Parcast. If you've heard our podcast and that's what we drink, you know we are no strangers to true crime and the paranormal. We're also into the occult uh, to chat about, not to join, but, you know, to, to learn and educate. Every Monday on Rituals, we're journeying through mystifying stories of sorcery, alchemy, Satanism, and more, and trying to determine if the dark arts of the past impact us today. Like weather witches? Who were they? Or the Fountain of Youth? Address, please. <laughs> Don't forget about werewolf trials, Em. Objection, Christine. Let's not give too much away. And instead, let's tell everyone to follow our new podcast, Rituals, free and only on Spotify. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Now... Back to the story. 
After the birth of Adriana Vasco's son, she noticed her husband Hugo change dramatically. Before he'd been a loving partner, the first man Adriana felt she could truly rely on. When confronted with the realities of fatherhood, however, he flat out refused to step up. Shocked by Hugo's sudden reversal, but determined to do right by her son, Adriana did her best to care for the baby on her own, but she was ill-equipped. She didn't have a positive role model to look to for guidance. All she knew was that she didn't want to be anything like her mother. Meanwhile, Hugo pulled away even further. Adriana later testified that he started drinking heavily and regularly abusing cocaine. Before long, Adriana joined him and was also using. It's likely that drugs offered her a temporary escape from the stresses of daily life, but it couldn't last forever. At one point, Adriana decided to get clean and expected Hugo to follow suit. Sadly, he apparently had no interest in recovery. Likely in a misguided attempt to jumpstart his sobriety, Adriana hid some of his drugs. Hugo didn't take it well. She says that when he realized what she'd done, he beat her mercilessly. Before she knew it, Adriana was back in the same abusive situation she'd fought so hard to escape as a teenager. And once again, Adriana did what she could to escape with her limited resources. In 1992, she became a medical assistant at the front desk of an anesthesiology clinic in Huntington Beach. The job allowed her to avoid Hugo during the day, but when she returned home, the abuse allegedly continued. And try as she might, she could only hide her situation for so long. About two months into her time at the clinic, one of the anesthesiologists noticed she was limping. Concerned, he offered to give her pain injections. As they discussed her injuries, Adriana had trouble skirting around the truth. Ken Stahl was a good listener, and before she knew it, she found herself opening up to the charming older doctor. When she admitted that her husband had caused the limp, Ken was sympathetic. From there, he and Adriana started to talk more. He seemed like someone she could trust, and he was actually interested in what she had to say. It was a welcome change from her conversations with Hugo. Adriana confided more in her new friend, and he responded in kind. Ken told her about his own troubles. In his version of the story, he was trapped in a loveless marriage with a woman who was lazy, selfish, and manipulative. According to Carolyn, this couldn't be further from the truth. Nevertheless, Kim claimed his wife was a heartless woman who would leave him with nothing if they ever divorced. It didn't take long for Ken and Adriana's relationship to turn romantic. For her part, Adriana saw Ken as a heroic figure, the refuge that she and her son so desperately needed. As their relationship progressed, Ken also started supporting Adriana financially. When she finally worked up the courage to leave Hugo, he paid for her motel room while she got back on her feet. And once Adriana was officially single, he became even more generous. He regularly sent her money, going so far as to buy her a car. More important than the lavish gifts, though, was the fact that Adriana's son, 
loved Uncle Ken as he started to be called. It was nice to pretend they were a happy family, but the reality wasn't quite as romantic. On occasion, Ken left cash in Adriana's apartment after visiting her. Though she needed the money, Adriana didn't like that he treated their relationship as a transaction. There were other issues in the bedroom too. Adriana claimed Ken would sometimes deliberately make her bleed during sex acts. Although she never explicitly said these were non-consensual, she made it clear that they weren't enjoyable for her. But Ken didn't care. He seemed to take pleasure in her pain. Despite this, Adriana still described him as a gentle person who couldn't hurt a fly. Considering she was financially dependent on him, turning a blind eye to his unsavory behavior was vital to her and her child's well-being. And compared to Hugo, perhaps Ken really did come off as a good guy. But as their relationship became more serious, his aggression in bed wasn't the only red flag Adriana noticed. Ken's depression had intensified over the previous years, and with it, so had his rage towards his wife. He started referring to Carolyn by derogatory names and said he couldn't stand her. To Adriana, it seemed like he had the same complaints as usual, but then Ken dropped a bomb. He said he wanted his wife dead and asked Adriana if she knew anyone who could make it happen. By this point, Adriana had developed real feelings for Ken in her eyes, he was her savior. She didn't really believe that he wanted Carolyn gone for good, so she did her best to talk him down and then put the confession out of her mind. As time went on, though, Carolyn continued to be a problem. No matter how much Ken railed against her, he made it clear that he wasn't going to leave the marriage. That meant he and Adriana could never really be together. Although she loved Ken dearly, Adriana couldn't bear to be the other woman any longer. Finally, she mustered up the strength to end things. She tried to distance herself from Ken, but he wouldn't let up. He'd never been good at losing, and he wasn't about to let Adriana slip from his grasp. She was conflicted. Eventually, the anguish she felt over losing Ken sent her into her own depression. Like so many issues in Adriana's life, her mood disorder may be able to be traced back to her history of abuse. Victims of intimate partner violence and survivors of childhood sexual abuse are more likely to develop severe depression. As someone who faced not one, but both of these harrowing situations, Adriana may have been particularly vulnerable. She needed help. After two second attempts to die by suicide, she was placed in a psychiatric clinic. This was where she met her next boyfriend, who we'll call Stan. According to Michael Fleeman's 2005 book, Deadly Mistress, while Adriana attempted to recover from her ordeal, Stan was being treated in the same clinic. The pair had an immediate connection. Eager to get over her affair with Ken, Adriana dove headfirst into a relationship. After being discharged from the facility, Adriana and Stan moved in together. Before long, she was pregnant with her second child, a daughter. But things only got worse from there. 
Detectives later found that Stan had a history of domestic violence in addition to a methamphetamine addiction. Soon, he and Adriana were fighting constantly. While her home life descended into chaos, Adriana looked to a familiar face for comfort. Despite everything he'd put her through, Ken hadn't given up on trying to win her back, at least as a friend. He called nonstop and dropped by the house unannounced to check up on her. She was put in an awkward position. Not only did she crave Ken's emotional support, but she still relied on him financially. Meanwhile, her relationship with Stan continued to be a nightmare. At one point, their fights became so bad that Adriana filed a restraining order against him. With Ken's assistance, she was able to move out and rent a shabby Anaheim apartment for her and her young kids. After leaving Stan, Adriana dedicated herself to turning her life around. For the first time in forever, she felt safe. Now she could really focus on herself. Adriana started going to church every Sunday and found a deeper connection with God. With the support of her new community, she was able to get clean and improve her mental health. While Ken still sent her money when she needed it, she found a part-time job and was working towards becoming more independent. With all of the positive changes, things were finally looking up. Most importantly, she was actually happy. It was almost an unfamiliar feeling. And sadly, it didn't last. Coming up, Adriana makes her deadliest match yet. Now, back to the story. In the fall of 1999, 32-year-old Adriana Vasco's life was changing for the better. For the first time in years, she was free of her abusive exes and was staying clean from drugs. Ken Stahl had helped her rent an apartment in Anaheim. Having a place to herself was a welcome change, but it was pretty run down and she often had to call maintenance for help. One day, she contacted the owners about a broken sink. The man who came to repair it was Dennis Earl Godley. Like Adriana, Dennis had a troubled childhood. He was barely 10 years old when his father was sent to prison. After that, Dennis didn't stay in one place for long. He lived in Virginia with his mother and her new husband for a while, but it wasn't a great fit. Then he moved in with his grandparents in North Carolina. He grew especially close with his grandfather, who died when Dennis was 17. To cope with his passing, Dennis started drinking. Heavily. His first arrest came shortly after. It was the first of many. Just as troubling as his rap sheet was his history with women. One former girlfriend described Dennis as controlling and manipulative. There was no doubt that Dennis was a violent man, just the kind Adriana had ended up with so many times before. When Dennis showed up at her door, he didn't knock. He didn't even say hello. He just barged right in. And as he made himself right at home, the new and improved Adriana faded into the background. Although she wasn't necessarily looking to date, something about Dennis pulled her in. Maybe it was his bad boy attitude. He didn't care about following the rules, 
and he let everyone know it. After that first visit, Dennis and Adriana started to spend more time together. Since he worked maintenance at her apartment complex, he was always around, and Adriana relished the attention. Although her last relationship was a train wreck, she hoped Dennis would be different. She soon realized that she had been right, but not in the way she'd hoped. Dennis wasn't like Stan. He was worse. The two had only known each other a few days when Dennis asked if Adriana could get him marijuana. Then he wanted speed. Before Adriana knew it, she was pulled back into the dark place she'd worked so hard to escape. Soon after that, they officially started dating. For a time, their relationship was nothing more than a hazy mix of drugs and alcohol. But after a few weeks, things took a turn for the worse. Late one evening, Dennis and Adriana were hanging out in her apartment. After one too many drinks, they were feeling loose and chatty. Slowly, the mood became a little quieter and more confessional. Then, Dennis opened up about his past. He told Adriana that he was wanted for robbery and assault back in North Carolina and Virginia. He'd been part of a rough crowd back east, the kind nobody wanted to cross. The second Adriana heard that, she immediately thought of Ken. Although he and Adriana were still friends, they'd been drifting apart lately. Ken's depression had gotten worse after his recent heart surgery, and his relationship with his wife Carolyn was as bad as ever. He told Adriana that he wanted Carolyn dead. Adriana hadn't taken him seriously, but for some reason, the remark had stuck with her. Before she could stop herself, she blurted out that she had a doctor friend who wanted to get rid of his wife. For a moment, Dennis was silent. Then he stood up and walked out of the room. Adriana's heart started to pound. She had a feeling she'd made a grave mistake. When Dennis came back in, the look on his face was intense. He told her to contact the doctor. Adriana laughed nervously. She assumed he must be joking. Dennis didn't press her on it that night, but before he left, he warned her not to tell anyone about their conversation. If she did, he would take her daughter away. Or rather, he had people who could do it for him. Over the next few weeks, Dennis became increasingly volatile. He was in a constant state of paranoia and walked around the apartment complex with a shotgun over his shoulder. As the maintenance man, he had keys to Adriana's apartment. He often took advantage of this, randomly letting himself into her place. One afternoon, he burst inside gun in hand and cried out that he needed money right away. He led Adriana to the phone and told her to call Ken. With the gun pointed at her, Adriana dialed the number. Her stomach churned as the phone rang. She prayed for everyone's sake that Ken had forgotten about his vendetta against Carolyn. But after letting him in on the situation, Adriana realized she was wrong. Very wrong. Ken hadn't forgotten. In fact, he wanted to make it happen as soon as possible. He asked Adriana and Dennis to meet him that very day to set things in motion. 
When she and Dennis reached the parking lot where Ken was waiting, Adriana hopped out of her car and quickly slipped into Ken's. She begged him to put an end to the whole thing. She explained that she was scared of Dennis, but Ken brushed off her concerns. Instead, he handed her an envelope to give to the would-be killer. Over the next few weeks, Adriana was racked with anxiety. She continued to try and talk Dennis or Ken out of the scheme, but neither would budge. In fact, Dennis regularly barged into her apartment to make threats and ensure the plan came to fruition. When Adriana pleaded with Ken to drop the matter, he turned the tables. He reminded Adriana how much he'd done for her, implying that she owed him. It seemed this was his payout, and on Saturday, November 20th, he was ready to collect. Adriana was supposed to go to a quinceanera that evening, but when Dennis showed up at her apartment, she sensed that she wouldn't be attending. Dennis pointed his gun at Adriana and told her to lead him outside to her car. With few other options, she did as he ordered. The plot to kill Carolyn had been escalating for weeks, and in all that time, Adriana hadn't managed to stop it. Even now, as it approached its inevitable conclusion, one phone call to the police could have ended it all, but Adriana couldn't do it. Her inaction may be better understood through the lens of battered women syndrome. Dr. Nancy Kayser Boyd later testified that Adriana was suffering from this form of PTSD, unique to victims of domestic abuse. Those with battered women syndrome often hold irrational beliefs that their abuser is far more powerful than they actually are. This can effectively paralyze the individual. People who have experienced childhood sexual abuse are especially susceptible to these feelings. After decades of being mistreated at every turn, Adriana saw herself as totally powerless. She'd come out of the frying pan and into the fire too many times. By this point, denial may have been the only thing holding her together. So as Adriana drove south with Dennis's gun trained on her, she wasn't thinking about how she could get away. She told herself that she had no idea what Dennis and Ken had actually planned, but that wasn't entirely true. Ken had explained the basics of the plot the previous day. Adriana knew she was supposed to pull into a gas station parking lot just before the Ortega Highway and wait for his car. Adriana and Dennis would then tail Ken and Carolyn as they got on the highway. As the moment approached, Adriana sat fidgeting in her seat. Dennis sat beside her, not saying much at all. Finally, a silver sedan drove past. Ken was at the wheel and Carolyn was in the passenger seat. Dennis jabbed Adriana in the ribs with his gun, jerking her back to reality. Now she had to drive. Adriana paused. All she wanted was to turn around and go home, but it was too late for that. She took a deep breath and pulled out of the lot. Adriana followed Ken's car through the darkened foothills of the Santa Ana Mountains. As the two vehicles wove through the thick pine forests and rocky canyons, Adriana hoped a cop would suddenly appear and pull them over. She prayed that something, 
anything would stop them in their tracks, but no one was coming to save her. Meanwhile, Ken drove slowly in front, as though he were taking a leisurely drive. With every passing second, Adriana became more anxious. After what felt like an eternity, he finally pulled off to the side of the road. Dennis ordered Adriana to make a U-turn and stop the car. She turned around and parked in the middle of the road. She thought that if she blocked off the highway, another car might come along and interrupt them, but none did. They were totally alone. Once they came to a halt, Dennis climbed out of the vehicle and jumped over the hood. He headed for Ken and Carolyn, pretending he had just happened upon them. In an innocent voice, he asked if they needed help. Then, the unmistakable sound of a gunshot rang out. Carolyn screamed. Adriana's stomach lurched. She didn't turn to see Carolyn stumbling out of the car, bleeding from her torso. More shots followed. This time, Adriana couldn't ignore them. She instinctively took her foot off the brake and started rolling forward. Finally, the firing stopped and Dennis walked towards her. Adriana froze, her foot tensed against the brake pedal. For a moment, they just stared at one another. Dennis asked Adriana where she was going, but she just shook her head in response. He replied, good, because I was going to blow you away first. Then he grabbed another round of ammunition and strode back to Ken's car. More shots rang out. Afterward, Dennis ran back to Adriana, jumped in the passenger seat and yelled for her to drive. Adriana took off. For a while, neither of them spoke. Eventually, reality sunk in. Carolyn was dead and Ken was right beside her when it happened. What would he do now? Finally, Dennis broke the silence. He told Adriana that Ken hadn't followed orders. He didn't put his hands where Dennis could see them. And now he was dead too. Thanks again for tuning into Crimes of Passion. We'll be back next time with part two of Adriana Vasco and Dennis Earl Godley's story. We'll discuss the year-long investigation that followed the murders, along with the dramatic trial that changed Adriana's fate forever. For more information on the murder of Ken Stahl and Carolyn Abistahl, amongst the many sources we used, we found Deadly Mistress by Michael Fleeman extremely helpful to our research. You can find more episodes of Crimes of Passion and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. We'll see you next time when true love meets true crime. Crimes of Passion is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Scott Stronach, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Joshua Kern. This episode of Crimes of Passion was written by Zoe Louisa Lewis, with writing assistance by Natalie Pertzovsky and Tara Wells, fact-checking by Anya Bayerly, and research by Mickey Taylor and Chelsea Wood. I'm Lainey Hobbs. Werewolves, Witches, and Arthur Conan Doyle? 
Oh my! Sounds like fascinating topics to discuss on our new show, Rituals, Christine. You know what, Em? It sure does. Every Monday on Rituals, join us as we explore the evolution of spiritualism and the occult through stories, practices, and the impact on modern culture. If you've heard our podcast and that's why we drink, this is the perfect pairing for you. And if you haven't, go give us a try. Follow our Spotify original from Parcast, Rituals. Listen free only on Spotify. Spotify.